Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Hi, today with us we have Kate Disney on the call. Kate, are you there? I'm here. Hi, thanks for joining us. Sure. Um, Could you start by giving a quick uh, bio or background, some information for our listeners about you? Sure. Um, My name's Kate Disney. I'm a military spouse. Um, I'm also a veteran and a nurse. I have a master's in nursing education and a master's in education with foundations in behavior analysis. And I'm the mom of two great kids, uh, one of which is diagnosed on the autism spectrum. He was diagnosed at three. And we have moved, gosh, nine times with kids for combat deployments and countless TDYs. And for all your listeners, TDY stands for temporary duty, and that might be something like training exercises for two to three weeks or three to four months trainings overseas. Um, So we're just navigating this military life and all its glory um, with my family. Thanks for joining us today. And definitely that's the topic I wanted us to focus on is um, being a parent, being a parent of a child on the spectrum as well. And then um, you have the unique perspective of being a military spouse and a veteran um, so you have, I think, all of those collective experiences, which will be really helpful um, for, for, I think, a lot of different members in our audience to connect with. Um, so where do you want to begin? How do you want to get us started? Maybe um, tell us a little bit about your experiences or um, where you're at now. Sure. Um, so, you know, I thought we might start with just a kind of a general overview. You know, military life is uh, challenging for families in general. Uh, there's lots of um, hilarious and sometimes heartbreaking blogs on the military life and moving around. And uh, just like any military family, our family experiences the same challenges um, that everybody does with deployment and moving. Um, and, uh, you know, even in a non-deploying cycle of military life, when you move every one to three years, that means your kids have to get used to new houses and streets and schools and they make new friends or find new activities and basically try to integrate into a new community. And in general, transitions are tough to navigate for many children on the autism spectrum. And I kind of break down those challenges in my mind into two categories, avoidable or unavoidable. Um, And some of those unavoidable challenges um, are you have to move when the military says you have new orders. Um, And so, like I said, that's a new house or a new bedroom, a new potty, a new street or playground, uh, a new school, a new IEP, which is something I'd like to tackle a little bit later in the podcast, too. Um, New ABA therapists, wait lists, things like that, new dentists and doctors. Um, You know, some of those changes come um, at the expense of having um, so many appointments maybe at a dental exam or a cleaning to get a good exam in, and then you move and have to kind of start all over. And those are some challenges that I think not everybody faces when they don't have a kiddo on the spectrum or a kiddo with special needs. Um, we have those unavoidable um, challenges like deployments, uh, like every family does, and gaps in ABA services due to moves. Um, But, of course, there are things that we can do to mitigate those challenges or help smooth them a little bit. Um, We have had the benefit of having phenomenal behavior analysts um, help us along the way. Um, And so some of those things that we have done 
to help um, not only my child on the spectrum, but my other kiddo too. Things like social stories and showing pictures of a new house. Um, we do things like calling housing early and you get on wait lists once you get orders. Um, I have uh, foregone valuable suitcase space to pack extra toys and items that I think will best sustain my child over the one to four months that we were with our house, without our household goods. Um, of course, anything you pack and anything you keep, they're going to want whatever is already packed away. So <laughs> then you rely on your friends and your community to try and borrow things and um, get through it the best you can. We call the school and prepare them for the services that might be on the current IEP. Um, there are a variety of spouse networks, Facebook networks that um, you can become a part of to find out anything from um, autism-friendly dentists and doctors to playgrounds and pools or, in our case, bowling alleys. <laughs> we get on wait lists and we call every ABA provider within a 30-mile radius and interview them. Uh, I might rank order them and pick the ones that I want um, to be on their wait list. And then we go through things like changing our TRICARE region and getting an appointment with a primary care provider so you can get a referral and then um, you know, give them your ABA provider request and, um, and then try and make your appointment for your internet to get set up because we know that having the iPad is very vital for everyone's sanity um, when you're moving. And those are just some of the unavoidable challenges and ways that I sort of mitigate um, some of the craziness that comes with moving every one or three years. You mentioned having uh, the interview for ABA therapists, and that's mm -hmm. something that stood out to me. Um, what kinds of things are you looking for in a therapist, and um, what what might give somebody a higher or lower rank? Sure. Um, so I usually talk to um, either the clinic director. I'd like to talk to whoever the, the BCBA is. Sometimes it's only one BCBA. Um, other times you might have a clinic with um, multiple uh, providers, I ask them things about, you know, what kind of approaches do they use, um, what kind of data do they take, and then um, how many RBTs do they have, and what's their staff turnover, um, what kind of uh, extra training do they give their RBTs, and then, of course, a lot of it comes down to do they have any room. Um, you know, once your child is in school, a lot of times, if you try and access ABA, it, there's no room if you're trying to access ABA after school. Um, and so that certainly plays a factor within it as well. But um, there are some checklists, um, I know, on the Behavior Bay website that kind of go over the quality indicators of a good ABA program. Um, I suggest that people use that and kind of use that to guide their interview with um, other um, ABA providers. Um, and that's been very beneficial for us. That's really helpful. Thank you for adding that in. Um, and then you talked a lot about needing to know so many specific details. So I, I grew up with my father in the Army, and I never once thought about needing to set up, you know, utilities or other kinds of um, household things because I was a child. So with you, do you have a checklist um, with each move that you kind of start with? Of course, each one would be a little bit unique. How do you, how do you organize all the things you have to do when you move? Um, you know, I, I don't have a specific checklist. I certainly make lots of lists. I usually lose them, though, <laughs> and start again. But um, it depends on each move. Some moves you might only be in transition for 
you know, two to four weeks. Um, and then other moves, we've been in transition for four months. Um, and that's really difficult to plan for no matter what, because uh, no matter what you do and all of the toys or things that you might bring or plans that you have, um, when you're all living together in one hotel room, uh, things can get pretty dicey. <laughs> so, um, you know, we try to um, make sure that we are on every wait list that we need to be. And that, for us, it includes housing, ABA providers, and um, talking to schools. And so there are certain things that you can or can't do depending on what TRICARE region you might be in. So if you're, for example, moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, you're transferring TRICARE regions, which means I can't um, get an ABA provider until I transfer regions, which means I have to wait until we check out of our current one, get um, an appointment with a doctor to get a referral. And so anything I can do on the front end, meaning interview those ABA providers, know which ones that I want, get their tax ID numbers, and when I go to that doctor's appointment, um, have those in hand so I can have those by name referrals ready. Um, that's been very beneficial. Although I will say, um, TRICARE, when we started this journey um, about seven years ago, was one of the only insurance companies that was reimbursing for ABA services, or it was one of the best. And so we were able to access care at the required density or the number of hours that were recommended for my son without a problem. Um, even so, we still had gaps in services because TRICARE, you know, wouldn't allow us to transfer providers without no referrals into the new region, but we were able to access it. Um, lately, uh, over the last couple of years, um, TRICARE has been changing its requirements for ABA services. Uh, so TRICARE is a military insurance provider, and um, they've changed various requirements, um, meaning assessments or how often that you have to reapply for services, and so much paperwork um, that I personally know four companies comprising over 15 BCBAs that have dropped TRICARE clients just because um, navigating the TRICARE world was too irritating. Um, and that means that a tremendous amount of our military kids are without their medically necessary therapy. Um, you know, it, it can force some of them into a medically dangerous wait time for our most needy kiddos and um, foster relapse in behaviors or loss of skills and a general loss of time that they could be learning valuable skills that, that will allow them to live their best life possible. And, you know, to me, not having access to this medically necessary therapy is um, unethical and, you know, as a parent, is simply heartbreaking. Um, I am incredibly proactive, pretty knowledgeable, and we had a seven-month wait or lapse in services on our last um, military move. And I was on the wait list for the provider in our um, current area four months before we left our last duty station. So sometimes there's almost nothing you can do to, to, um, to decrease that wait list. You're at the mercy of what provider is available in your area. Wow. Um, it's I think it's really important for people to hear that perspective. And I think sometimes we hope that if everyone's on board and we have the right information and we are all knowledgeable and we're calling everyone on time that, you know, maybe there'll be a month or two, but really maybe there will be seven to 10 to 12 months. And that can be regardless of what, of the efforts that an individual or maybe sort of not, not with regard, um, being regardless, but, um, 
in spite of, they're still not successful in that way. I know that you and others have really kind of worked hard at like trying to maintain some skills and implement some programs and, um, and to do your best. What are some things that you did with your son or that you might recommend for others if they are in that wait period? Um, so probably the most valuable um, things that I've done is participated to the maximum extent possible in my son's ABA sessions and learn as much as I can. Um, I am fortunate enough to have um, a, had post-9-11 GI Bill extra money um, from my first master's degree, and I went and took the courses in behavior analysis. Now, I'm not certainly suggesting that people need to go out and take um, these courses at a collegiate level, but just working with a behavior analyst or, and learning about functions of behavior, understanding um, antecedents and consequences, um, and learning how to apply those to your everyday life and, and what other type of things help. Like for us, it's a schedule. And it's knowing that you can't make a schedule with 10 things that your kiddo doesn't like. If you intersperse it with one thing that they do like, um, you'll be able to navigate that day a little more successfully. Um, you know, for us, it's just knowing what's been working in the past and establishing those um, patterns while you're stable, while you have the ABA care um, available to you before your move, and then trying to maintain those throughout the move. I'll be the first to admit that it is difficult to do all day long, <laughs> and there are just times that um, that the stress and the craziness of moving and not having your stuff for months on end and living in a hotel uh, or not being able to cook in a kitchen just um, makes it difficult, and you navigate those the best you can, and you keep going. Um, but I would say liaisoning with your ABA provider and learning as much as you can about how to not just mitigate behaviors, but also maintain skills. Um, you know, for us, it was learning more language in the early years and using that language and how to increase that language. So for me, that was um, just a gold mine because the more my kiddo could communicate, the easier his life was. Um, so, so that was really beneficial. I, I guess I would have to say just um, learning as much as you can about how to teach um, your kiddo was the most beneficial. And you've talked also about, thank you for sharing that, about um, clinic and school or after school kinds of access to services. Um, how do you navigate the schools and, and how have they been different or the same across your different stations? Sure. Um, so at schools and then home or clinic ABA are kind of two separate categories to me. Just because of our experience, although I wish they weren't. I wish we could all collaborate because it could do nothing but be beneficial for our kids. Um, schools vary to a certain extent on what they have available. Um, we have been in three different school systems so far after his diagnosis and have had three pretty um, different experiences. But I think the one experience that I will say is kind of the same across the board is that uh, no one is really excited to give you everything you want or everything your kid needs, um, but some are more interested in helping than others. So, um, you know, every time we move to a new school, you have the dreaded ABA discussion and the unavoidable new IEP meeting where uh, the new school kind of attempts to remove um, any former or hard-fought sports um, because, you know, they feel they're the experts. And 
you know, we have very well-meaning teachers who are kind and very smart, um, but it's been my experience that um, for my son and for others who I know um, have kids on the spectrum and, and have relied heavily on ABA to teach everything with the kiddos, um, that's really what works and what sticks. And so to have that support in school is really vital. Um, I know that a lot of families uh, in the military communities, because we move around so much, uh, resort to homeschooling. And I say resort to it because they wouldn't necessarily choose to homeschool if they could get that effective uh, and not de minimis uh, academic, social, and behavioral instruction in the public school. Um, I think that um, I'd love to have uh, the Military Child Education Coalition and local commands kind of advocate really strongly for the use of evidence-based instructional methods for our vulnerable student populations, and specifically for us, um, the widespread use of behavior analysis in the instruction of academic, social, and behavioral goals for our kids at school. You know, in my experience, the use of BCBAs is not commonplace when developing behavior plans, which I feel is unethical. Um, in fact, when I requested that a licensed behavior analyst spearhead the FBA, which is a functional behavior assessment for my son, uh, the administrator brought me into her office and after a lengthy but polite conversation on why she thought it wasn't necessary, she told me that, hey, my kid has autism. I could just be happy he isn't biting or kicking anyone. Um, and I won't repeat the rest of her statement because it was um, wildly offensive. Um, so that was really hard fought and really difficult. Now we went to a new school system and they contracted a BCBA for the FBA and the behavior support plan. But that was the only thing they were interested in using a behavior analyst for. Um, and so, so that school didn't have to be strong-armed into using a BCBA for the development of the behavior plan. Um, but they certainly would not have ever considered or be interested in using a BCBA to help develop effective instructional curricula or methods for academic or social goals. Um, and to me, it's really tough because when you move around all that often, you have to continually fight and almost prove that, hey, what you've got in place isn't as effective as you want it to be, and then it always seems like we're getting things going on the tail end right before we move again. Um, I was fortunate enough to attend a training seminar on IEPs given by Pete Wright from Wright's Law, and uh, it was an excellent um, seminar, but what really struck me was this. After the, the two-day conference, I asked him directly afterwards, what recourse could our military families take since they move so often? Uh, basically, if your child isn't getting the effective instruction, you have to sort of prove that your child didn't make effective um, progress with the supports given over a, at least a year. And then what can we do since we move so often? And he looked at me with all sincerity and said, you have no recourse. You have to start over each place. Um, and so it's not that administrators and teachers don't want to do what's necessary. I think it's they just haven't been giving the right tools. And so, you know, in a broader level nationally, um, you know, I don't know what can be done, but in our sphere of influence um, around the military, having the military advocate in the school systems that serve our population of kids, that would be instrumental in paving the way for our special needs students who benefit from ABA to receive the effective instruction that they need. 
um, and kind of stop kicking the can farther down the road, literally. I've had three spouses, uh, girlfriends who teach in the school systems that we've been a part of um, throughout the last few moves, and they have uh, each told me that on numerous occasions by their administrators, um, their administrators tell them, hey, don't recommend this or don't do that, just wait them out because they'll be moving in a year or so. And so that's really disheartening to hear. Um, I know it happens, but I think we can do better. And I think that um, if you have a, a bit of advocacy on the um, military level, either through the local installation and the local command or on a broader Department of Defense uh, level, I think that could really help um, pave the way for these services to be commonplace uh, instead of hard fought and hard won. You know, I think a lot of people share or can relate with that. Um, feels like we're constantly fighting uh, sentiment and mentality. And sometimes I describe the work of of a behavior analyst who's an advocate as as an ER surgeon who works a 16-hour shift and then comes home and defends their right to do it again the next day. Um, <laughs> um, just meaning that it's a, it's a tough job, it's a hard job, and it's one we want to do, but so much energy is fought in just getting access to services. So with that said, do you have any um, insight or recommendations as to what behavior analysts can be doing, the owners of these agencies, individuals working for them, those in the local community with their schools? Is there something that we can be doing more that we could be doing to help families like yours? Um, I think it is certainly probably a challenging, I think, from a professional standpoint. You service a large military community. You have people moving in and out every, like I said, one to three years, and um, and that can be difficult, I think, for professionals to navigate. Um, and when TRICARE changes the rules or the requirements all the time, I understand professionals' frustration. I think advocating for um, insurance reform has gone a long way. Uh, I know that when we started, not that many states had what you call autism insurance or um, reimbursement for ABA services. And the bittersweet part of that is now many more have, and so many other children are getting services uh, that didn't have access to them before. But I do feel like it's to the detriment of our military population because now those other insurances and those other clients are there long-term. Once you've established um, services with that child, they don't move away, and it's um, – it's easier to provide services to a more stable population um, whose insurance requirements don't change every three to six months or every year. And so um, I'll be honest, I'm a busy <laughs> mom of two great kids with, uh, you know, an active duty spouse with uh, deployment, you know, going on right now and a move coming up again in another three months. And so I don't have time to advocate. So it would um, be wonderful if not only the professional behavior analytic community um, could continue advocating for evidence-based instruction, um, science-based instruction, um, not only in behaviors for schools, but also uh, the use of behavior analysis and those scientific approaches to teach skills, and I'm talking academic and social skills as well, um, that would really help our community. And Although I don't have any great suggestions for the behavior analytic community at large to help our population, um, my one suggestion, and, and I like to 
you know, I rarely complain without offering a solution. <laughs> My one suggestion would be that the military specifically um, must hire BCBAs and RBTs, especially um, in these large installations where the need will always be there um, in, these, in these posts or bases where you have uh, a huge community of families and you will always have um, kids needing these services. I feel like the military really must provide a robust, a robust availability for these services. Um, having these services like a clinic on post or social skills clinic in school or home settings, um, academic interventions or a good rapport with the, the school district that um, is on the installation or services the population around installations. And many people don't know this, that most schools on military installations are state-run. We do still have a couple of Department of Defense schools, but most of them are run by the state. And so every time you move, those laws and those guidelines and what they have or don't have changes, um, you know, state to state. So I think if the military was able to hire BCBAs and RBTs, we could really help lessen that wait list and, um, and really help continue making progress with these kids. Um, you know, the military in general has an abundance of services for all sorts of family help. We have marriage counseling and parent classes and newborn classes and resiliency training for soldiers and family members. Uh, we have all sorts of professionals, uh, chaplains, military family life counselors, licensed social workers and job coaching seminars and fam financial planning classes and just the list goes on. You can even get counseling anonymously through Military One Source. But there is no help for families with kids on the spectrum who need ABA um, other than, you know, private providers. Um, and if they're not in network TRICARE, there's really nothing they can do. Um, these families, including mine, are simply told that they have to wait or that services won't be available in their area for up to a year. Um, or if they have services, uh, they may only have a fraction of what is medically recommended for their kids. And I'm just not okay with that. Um, and, uh, you know, I always go back to my nursing background. And in the medical profession, we would never, ever think of saying to a parent of a child that needs, um, say, psychiatric medication, hey, sorry, but there won't be any medication available to you during your move. You can't access any until you get another appointment and a referral. And sorry, but the wait for your medication is about three to nine months at your new duty station. After that, you can get your medication, but only at half of the recommended dose. So we would never say that, and that sounds completely ridiculous because it is ridiculous. <laughs> but I see no difference between a medically necessary medication and a medically necessary therapeutic service. And so I think that um, in general, if the military could offer these services, they wouldn't need to be reapplied for, reapplied for every time a soldier gets reassigned to a new installation, um, and it could really... Um, decrease the stress on families, which ultimately has an impact on retention in this all-volunteer force. Wow. What a way to connect it all. I think you've brought um, not only, like you said, to light some of the concerns in, in your situation and situations of others, but also some ideas, some suggestions, and some potential solutions. And I think that that's incredibly that can be incredibly powerful when we're constantly feeling, I, I think when we're focusing on some of the needs, it can feel very hopeless. And we are looking at saying, this is where we can make a change. And that's part of why I wanted to invite you onto the show today is, you know, you're in a, a key position for dissemination of 
what your son needs, what your children need, what others may need who are in similar situations. So I appreciate that, Kate. Um, before we end today, is there anything else that you'd like to, to impart on our listeners or share or anyone you want to give a shout out to, anything like that? Um, no, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about um, not only the impact that ABA has made in my son's life, but also our family's life, um, and to share some of the struggles and challenges that military families face, um, not only every military family, but certainly the additional struggles that military families with children on the spectrum um, or kids with special needs face. Um, but I do want to be really clear on one point that maybe I didn't make earlier, that you know my struggles or parents' struggles um, my own struggle to get what my child needs is, is not the takeaway here that I want people to, to go um, away with. The actual lack of services and the long-lasting effects on our kids' ability to be as independent as possible is the true ethical issue at stake. Um, you know, all the late nights, all the phone calls, all the preparations that I do pales in comparison to um, what, what sort of services um, – are really needed and the impact that those make on, on um, every child's life. And so uh, I do believe that advocating and implementing some of the solutions that we've talked about would really improve the quality of life for families and, and ultimately lead to a better life for our children with autism and other special needs that require not only behavior analytic interventions, um, but other inventions, interventions to help them acquire the skills necessary to lead their most independent life possible. Um, and so that's the takeaway I want want people to really um, go with, go away with after this. Thank you, thank you, Kate, for sharing that perspective and for joining me today to talk about the life of what it's like to be traveling in the military, a veteran in the military, a military spouse, and a mother of a child with autism who is trying to access ABA services at each new military station and during deployment. The information you provided today has been invaluable, and I know that we're going to need to have you back because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of follow-up questions. In the meantime, for anyone who's interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, please visit www.behaviorbabe.com. Mm-hmm.